0: Hi, my name is Gilbert Thurston Lee, pastor of Exponential Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. This is an interesting time we live in with the spread of the coronavirus throughout the world and all the mass confusion and panic and quarantines that are happening right here in the United States. Thanks so much for watching here today. I hope this is a message that'll help you in some way. In just a couple moments, we're gonna share about 15 minutes or so worth of music that we recently did at one of our worship experiences at Exponential on a Sunday morning. And then I'm gonna be back to share with you a message that I've entitled Four Keys to Effective Confrontation. I mean, with so much division amongst us politically as a nation, and even all the mass disinformation being spread about because of the virus. How we go about confronting others is a skill that we all need to learn. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that as well. For now, though, we are going to take a little bit of time to worship God through singing and music. And I want to share with you before we actually get to that that, you know, at Exponential, we're not doing worship or church the right way or even the wrong way. We're just doing it the way that God has asked us to do and called us to do. And so what we're about to see, uh, maybe is going to be a little different than what you're used to, or what you're going to hear is a little bit different. Maybe it's not even your expectations of what a church should be doing. But this: we love Jesus with all of our heart, and this is our way of expressing our love and devotion to him. So it may be different, but we hope that you enjoy your worship time with us. And again, I'll see you in about 15 minutes for the message. Well, thanks again for tuning in today. This is actually part three of a series that we've been doing called Through the Fire, where we've been looking at basically how followers of Jesus can stand strong in a culture that really is encouraging us to compromise on our faith and our beliefs. The big question that we've been wrestling with throughout the series is simply this. When the culture shifts, are you going to shift with it? Are you going to be more like a thermometer that reads the temperature, or are you going to be like a thermostat that actually can change the temperature? To help us with all this, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Daniel. In fact, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 4. That's where we're going to be hanging out here today. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to provide all the scriptures for you right here on the screen. Or if you want to, you can open up a separate tab there in your browser. Go to our website, which is www.exponential.church. And we have an online digital program there that you can follow along with all the scriptures as well as the -the fill-in-the-blanks at the end, you're able to actually email that to to yourself and uh, have the notes that you took. Now, as you continue to to turn, let me uh, recap a little bit of what we've covered in the first two weeks of the series. Essentially, the nation of Israel had gone through a civil war and had been divided into two different kingdoms. In 605 BC, one of those kingdoms, Judah, was conquered by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the the conquest that Nebuchadnezzar did uh, was a little different than how people typically did it. He uh, would basically brainwashed some of the people to be used for his own advantage. And some of the people that he took in this one was a 17-year-old kid by the name of Daniel, along with three of Daniel's friends. Basically, again, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be able to brainwash them to be able to use them for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, in week one of the series, we discovered that one of the primary strategies he used in brainwashing, and it's actually a strategy that people still use to this day, is to rename you and rebrand you, to try to get you to think of yourself as a new identity. And so what I talked about in week one was some of the counter strategies we can use in combat that. So you may want to check that out online. Then in week two, I shared the strategies we can use as culture tries to pressure us or persecute us for our beliefs. And what we discovered is that God can intervene in our circumstances and situations in completely miraculous ways. But you know what? Even if he does not, our hope still needs to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. It was a powerful message of hope in the midst of the panic and fear that has gripped our nation as a result of the coronavirus, and again, I would encourage you to jump online to check it out. Today I want to talk with you about confrontation, and I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever been confronted in the wrong way? Maybe it was a spouse, or a friend of yours, maybe it was a boss, or even a complete stranger. Or how about this? Have you ever been confronted by a Christian in a completely non like manner? Perhaps even some of you that are watching today say the reason that you're not a Christian is because you ran into a Christian that was like that, and you're thinking, wait, if that's what Christians are like and what they're about? Man, I don't want to have anything to do with that. My point is simply this. We've all seen confrontation done wrong. There's no doubt that this is a major problem in our society. In fact, we see it in person, and we especially see it online. People online love to confront and and try to convince everyone why they are right and you're wrong, and You know, what many of you have seen or maybe even experienced is this pretty typically just divulges into a shouting match and name-calling instead of actually talking about the issue. So maybe you're wondering, okay, how do we do confrontation in a more effective way? Well, that's what I want to talk with you about today. Because in the fourth chapter of Daniel here, Daniel himself is going to give us a wonderful playbook. You see, he had to confront King Nebuchadnezzar, who had fallen away from the one true God. Last week in the series, we saw three of Daniel's friends who had been named by the Babylonians as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They survived the fiery furnace, and and it was proof then to Nebuchadnezzar that, wait, your God is the one true God. And for a while, he actually changed his heart, he changed his mind, he changed his ways. But over time, Nebuchadnezzar started to fall away from all that. And what we're going to see here in in this story today is that Daniel's going to have to confront Nebuchadnezzar about it. Now, it's Nebuchadnezzar himself who actually writes most of Daniel 4 here. After Daniel had confronted him, he's going to write his story of how he got back on track. So Daniel four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living comfortably at home. I was prosperous while living in my palace. You know, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was all good in the hood. He was living the Babylonian dream. He didn't have a care in the world, which sounds great, but... We've got to be careful in times that, you know, we don't do that same thing where we stop trusting God in the process. You see, all is well, or when all is well, we can get lulled into a false sense of security and think, ah, I got this, I don't need God, I've got everything figured out on my own, which, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. And really, that's just pride of saying that, that, God, I've got this handled, I don't really need you. You know, if this coronavirus has taught us anything, perhaps it's that maybe we're not quite as in control as what we thought that we were. Maybe life here in America has gotten so good and prosperous that we had stopped depending on God. Nebuchadnezzar, he continues on then in verse five and he says, One night I had a horrifying dream. The images and visions that flashed through my mind horrified me. You ever had a dream like that? Where you wake up and you're shaking and you're sweating, your heart is racing. It, It seems so vivid that you have to remind yourself, calm down, calm down. It was just a dream. It was just a dream. Or maybe this, have you ever had your spouse have a bad dream and they wake up the next morning and in it you were the bad guy, but now they're treating you like you actually were the bad guy I and mean, it was that vivid for them? I know my wife Lisa had one like that one time and she just glared at me all morning. least Lisa's not somebody that glares, but that just shows you how powerful dreams can be. Now let me just summarize for you what happens in the next couple of verses and what it is that Nebuchadnezzar grip about. Basically, he saw a large tree. It was the largest in all the kingdom. And then he sees a messenger come down from heaven and basically do his best Paul Bunyan impersonation. He just starts going to town, chopping this tree down until only a stump and its roots are left. And then the messenger says this, this is to show that God is in control of all the kingdoms of the world and he chooses who their ruler will be. Now, I'm being honest. This should have probably been an episode of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Because this is an easy dream to figure out. That it, It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar and that, that God is in control and God can knock down Nebuchadnezzar and that God, you know, shows who the rulers are going to be. That God can chop you down the sides because he's in control. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get it. In fact, all of his astrologers and magicians and, and mediums and various people that he had in his kingdom, they don't get it either. Now, we're not sure, did they actually not get it, or were they just playing dumb? Because the general rule of thumb in that day and time was, if you deliver bad news to the king, you would be immediately executed for it. In fact, if you've ever heard the phrase before, don't shoot the messenger, that's what this is really all about. Finally, though, Nebuchadnezzar, he decides, you know, I need to know what this dream's about. So he calls in this top guy, Daniel, and he says, you know what, none of the other guys knows what my dream means, so can you help me out? Now Daniel has a choice. Does he confront the pride that he's been seeing in Nebuchadnezzar? Or does he just decide to take the safe route and play dumb with it all? And this is the same dilemma that many of you are facing. You know, you've made observations about a friend's marriage or your boss's behavior or maybe a classmate's actions that you want to say something about it, but you're afraid. I mean, what if I lose my friend or what if I lose my job? That's why what Daniel does next is so awesome, because he essentially gives us a playbook that all of us can follow when it comes to how to confront someone. In fact, he gives us four keys to effective confrontation. Here's the first one. Confrontation works much better with those I build a relationship with. You know, when Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar first met in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was about 17 years old. By the time this story happens in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel's now 40 to 45 years old. In other words, he's built a 25-plus year relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm not saying to you that you can't confront someone until you've had a 25-year or 25-year-plus relationship with them. But what I am saying is this. Confrontation usually works best with someone you know and you have earned their trust. This does mean that it's going to take some time. This does mean that you've demonstrated to them that you know what, I love you and I care for you, and you did that through both your words and your actions, in other words you have got to earn the right to be heard, I mean if you don't believe me, then just flip the script have you ever been confronted by someone that really didn't know you how did that work out for the other person probably not very well, right why, because you were like hey, they don't know me, who in the world do they think they are, and so if it didn't work out for them, what makes you think that it's going to work out for you Now, let me be clear, there's going to be times that God is going to ask you to confront someone that you're not in a relationship with, but hear me clearly, this is the exception, not the rule. So here's a question you should always ask before you confront someone, have I invested in a relationship with the person that I'm about to confront? If the answer to that is no, then typically it's best not to do it, unless again, God has made it crystal clear otherwise. And by the way, this applies to social media as well. Now, I know some of you are going, but, but Gilbert, my timeline says I've been friends with this person for eight years. Well, in the words of that great theologian, Chris Farley, well, a lot of you freaking da I mean, just because you are Facebook friends with someone, or you follow them on Twitter, or Instagram, or they follow you back, that doesn't mean that you're actually friends. No, remember... Actual friendships, actual relationships are primarily built one-on-one, face-to-face, life-on-life. Now, that doesn't mean you can't build real relationships with people online. I mean, I have, but my point is simply this. Not everyone online is someone that you've earned the right to confront. I especially want to remind those of you who are genuine followers and authentic followers of Jesus to be careful in your social media interactions. You know, social media can be a great platform for spreading the good news of what Jesus has done for all of us. However, however, I have yet to meet a Christian who says, let me tell you my testimony. I became a Christian because one day I was online and there was a a genuine follower of Jesus who all of a sudden they just started blasting me and attacking me and telling me how bad of a person I was and ripping me for my lifestyle. And in that moment I was like, you're absolutely right. What must I do in order to be saved? just doesn't happen that way. And it will never happen that way. So again, let me remind you, confrontation works much better with those I build a relationship with. Number two, then. My goal for confronting must always be restoration. You know, unfortunately for many, the goal isn't restoration, but rather to be right. That's a huge difference. But so often our attitude is, I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm just going to keep repeating it over and over and over again and louder and louder and louder until you believe me. But let me ask you a question. How's that one been working out for you? Again, probably not all that well. My wife, Lisa, and I were getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary here in June. I can remember back, it was very early in our marriage. We we're still trying to figure out the whole communication and marriage thing. We were in a disagreement about something, and I don't even remember what it was, but I remember at one point, I so wanted to be right, I just kept hammering her with what I perceived to be the truth. And at one point, she looks at me and she says, but here's how that makes me feel. And again, I so wanted to be right that I said, that's not how you feel. And I can't think, think about that, but I mean, now I'm telling her that not only is she wrong, but that she's even wrong about how she feels. See, we can't have that attitude of that it's just about me being right. That's the danger that we face Anytime our goal isn't to be pure. I mean, someone once said it's possible to be so right that you end up wrong. The Apostle Paul said it this way. We've got to speak the truth, but we've got to do it in love. This was the example that Jesus said. You know, oftentimes he would confront someone in their sin, and his goal was to restore them back to God the Father. He would make it clear that, yes, you are in sin, but God wants to forgive you. And he doesn't want to condemn you. And he wants to provide you the hope of restoration, that you can be back in a right relationship with God. So here's the question you must always be asking yourself. Am I confronting this person because I want to be right, or because I genuinely want them restored? You know, usually you'll know by your approach. If you're coming on super strong or you're highly emotional, that may be a good indicator that you're just seeking to be right. Uh, Let's look at Daniel's example in verse 19. Uh, Then Daniel, who was called Belshazzar, was very quiet for a while because his understanding of the dream frightened him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning make you afraid. Then Belshazzar answered, my master, I wish the dream were about your enemies and I wish its meaning were for those who are against you. In other words, I care about you, and this dream of yours is shaking me just as much as it shook you because I've been here and I've served under you for, you know, many, many years. But what I'm about to share with you is not going to be good news, which leads me then to my third point. When I confront, I must do so with an attitude of humility. You know, anytime you're forced to confront someone, whether it you know, be greed or lost or Maybe it's an addiction or how they're treating their spouse or their children or or maybe how it is that they're behaving at school or work. The, The root problem is always pride. Basically, the person that you're confronting has been living their life in such a way that they're saying, God, I know better than you, and I'm going to live my life any way that I want to live my life. So knowing that, if you try to confront pride with your own pride, it's always going to divide. In fact, let me say that again. If you try to confront pride with your own pride, it will always divide. The Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If someone is trapped in sin, you should gently and humbly lead that person back to the right path. But watch out and don't be tempted yourself. Now, you know, often when we think about that verse and we think of what Paul's trying to say, we think that he's saying that you're going to be tempted with the exact same sin that they're wrestling with. But I think there's an even easier way to interpret this. If all sin is a result of pride, and now you're confronting them with pride, then now you are sinning as well. So here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Am I confronting with a heart of pride or with a heart of humility? Now you're going to go, I'm not really sure how how would I even know. Well, a simple test is this. If you're looking forward to the confrontation, then you're probably not yet ready. The fact that you want to confront them means that perhaps your heart isn't quite in the right place yet. You see, and until your heart is broken for someone, and your heart is broken for their situation, your communication with them will probably not be all that effective. Look here at how Daniel does this, and then does one final thing that I want to talk to you about here. And in Daniel four twenty six to twenty seven, Daniel is speaking, and he says, "The stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground." This is to show that you will be king once again, after you learn that the God who rules from heaven is in control. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. I mean, you can almost hear the anguish of Daniel's voice. Please, King, please accept my advice. And Daniel offers one more thing that we must do as well. Number four, I must provide hope to the person that I'm confronting. Listen, you can do the first three points 100% correctly. You can have a relationship. You can have the right goal and the right approach. But if at the end of the conversation, the only thing the person walks away with is, man, I've messed up. I'm a failure. If you haven't provided hope for them, then you've lost. Because essentially, all you did was humiliate them. You know, as followers of Jesus, we know that the ultimate hope is found in him. It's Jesus that can forgive our sins. It's him that gives us a hope for a brand new life and a fresh start. And so make sure you're providing that kind of hope as you confront people. Let them know that their situation can be redeemed no matter what it is, no matter what it is that they did, no matter how bad they've messed up. My former boss, Rick Warren, was fond of saying, the world knows everything that Christians are against, but let's start telling them what they're for. Yes, we need to confront sin, but we must do it in a way that brings hope not just humiliation. And so that's the last question you need to ask yourself before you confront someone. Am I confronting to provide hope or to humiliate? As I begin to wrap up, let me share with you that even if you do all four of these things effectively, it's still not a guarantee that you're going to see change in the other person. In fact, in this story, it took Nebuchadnezzar seven years until he changed. And this is a great reminder to all of us that our job is not to change someone else. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to confront, but to do it in the proper way. Now, after the seven years were up, King Nebuchadnezzar, he he changed. And he he writes this in Daniel 4, 36 to 37. At that time, my sanity returned to me. I was restored to the honor of my kingdom and my splendor returned to me. My ministers and my nobles were seeking me out, and I was reinstated over my kingdom. I became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, for all of his deeds are right and his ways are just. He is able to bring down those who live in pride. You know, undoubtedly today, as you watch this message, a name came to your mind as someone that you need to confront And hopefully this message gave you the the tools to be able to do it in the proper way. And maybe for some of you, even the courage to be able to do it. This whole series, though, really has been about what do you do when the culture is shifting? And we've seen it shifting. And yes, it bothers us, and we want to do something about it. But if we really want to see change, we've got to go about it in the right way. And so I hope and pray that today's message will set you along that path you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather together to look at your word and see how it is that we can be your salt and your light and your messengers in the midst of this changing culture that we find ourselves in. Father, we thank you for the example that that Daniel gave us here and, and we pray that we're able to take these tools and these lessons that he has taught us and apply it to our own lives. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would reflect on each of these four areas of where am I weak right now? And God, what is my next step I need to take in order to get better at it? And most of all, Jesus, we thank you that you were an example to us, that you confronted us in our sin. But you didn't just leave us there. You gave us hope. You gave us the offer of forgiveness and restoration back to God the Father. And so, Lord, help us to provide that same type of hope to others. Hope that in the midst of a virus, and a pandemic, that that God is still in control. Hope that our sin can be forgiven, that, that one day we can spend eternity with you. Lord, help us to be messengers of hope in this very trying time. Thank you, Jesus, that you use people like us to be your hands and your feet and your mouth to the people of our community and the people of this world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey again, I, I want to thank you for tuning in today. And we're still not sure exactly how we're gonna be meeting even next week as a church body. uh um, just you know depends on what the CDC is saying and, and and you know various things that are going on. If we are live uh back at our, our building, then I invite you to, to join us. If you're here in the Harrisburg area, we meet at 4699 Rural Drive in Harrisburg. That's near the Colonial Park Mall, again, that's 4699 Rural Drive right here in the Colonial Park Mall. So we'd love to have you come out and visit us in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We may be back here on uh, Facebook and other social media platforms, and that may be the way we need to do our actual uh, church service and uh, worship experience for a little bit, and that's fine if that's what God chooses. We're also providing some life groups during the middle of the week, so if you're interested in getting connected with some of those, please let us know. You can email us at info at exponential.church. Again, that's info at exponential.church. We'd love to get you connected in that ways. Uh, I'm doing a, a weekly sort of a state of the, the, the church and, and what's happening and what our response is. And it's a, a live call that we do with that and we invite you to to join us for that. Again, we can send you the link. uh, if You just email us at info at exponential.church, and that's a Zoom call, and we're on there, and we're going to pray together and and just brainstorm how we can better serve our community during this time. Also, uh, next week I am continuing uh, this particular series, so we invite you to to be a part of that, and if you want to support us financially, we'd appreciate that. We're not sure how things are going to end up going over the, the next couple months, uh, and who it is that we're going to need to be able to reach out and serve. So if you're interested in supporting us, go to our website, exponential.church. There's a whole giving tab that's on there, and you can get that all set up to, to give. We appreciate that. Or if you want to pull out your, your phone, you can actually text in any dollar amount to 84321. Again, that's text any dollar amount to 84321. That money gets into us just as well. And, you know, we take very seriously our responsibility to handle the, the money that God has entrusted us with. And so we try to use that in any way that we can to not only serve our local community here, but then to try to help people around the world as well. Uh, in fact, our biggest heart is for the uh, the country of Haiti. And we actually have a sister church there that we provide their entire budget for them for the year. And we send teams down to Haiti as well to try to help them out. Um, so know that your money is being uh, spent in a, in a good way. And that we're always looking at how can we... Uh, be generous, because we believe that we have been blessed and to be a blessing to others. So, again, we thank you if uh, if you'd like to financially support us. Um, again, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, tuning in and watching this in this just uh, weird time that we're in. And we want to help you in any way that we possibly can take your next steps and your journey with and towards God. So, if you need anything, please. Let us know. Again, you can email info at exponential.church. The church phone number is 717-461-3288. We'd love to be able to connect with you and help you and pray for you. Uh, just, Just let us know. We are here to serve you. Have a great week, and God bless you.